Hello and welcome to Talking About My Generation, a pop culture podcast dedicated to children of the 80s, 90s, and even into the 21st century. If you're new to the show, welcome. On this podcast, we'll discuss movies, video games, and television shows that we grew up with. This week, we are going to go back... Part of it is that because we are comic book geeks, that that just kind of comes right out. Mike is joining me here. Mm-hmm. We okay. We're going to start off with something that has really become kind of a hated Marvel movie. Well, in in ninety nine percent of America, yes, but certain people still enjoy it, and there is another way to enjoy it outside of like. The way I look at the Marvel films, and when I say Marvel films, I mean the Marvel character films. I don't mean Marvel Studios because obviously Marvel Studios didn't really get you know kicked in the ass until Iron Man. But right. you know, you look at Fox, you look at Sony, you look at whoever you want to look at. You know, Spider Man, X Men, whatever, Fantastic Four, um, the real at this point. As of this recording, the real Fantastic Four movies, because what's coming out now is just... Yeah. Um, But we're going to be talking about 2003's Daredevil with Ben Affleck, Jennifer... uh, God, I almost said Jennifer Love Hewitt. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Jennifer Gardner, um, (laughs) Michael Clark Duncan, uh, Joey Pants... Yeah, I, I can't say his last... I think it's Pantoliano, but I... Joey Pants... um, 2003's Daredevil, it, (sighs) for me, it has special meaning for several reasons. It's not because of the content of the film. The theat, there are two versions of this film, folks. There's the the original theatrical cut, and then there's the director's cut DVD that came out a year later. The original theatrical cut is what we'll be mainly focusing on here, but I will point out the differences in what happened with the director's cut. Um, one of the reasons why Daredevil is so, uh, I don't want to say nostalgic for me, because, oh my god, how can you say something's nostalgic when it's only been 12 years since that movie came out? Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, for me it was, it came out, and this is so weird to me, uh, it's a PG-13 kind of, and Daredevil is kind of supposed, to, it's not, I don't want to piss the horror fans off by saying this, but these kinds of movies, like the Daredevils, like the Blades, like that kind of thing when it comes to... These are the darker, grittier, somewhat horror-like movies, in my opinion. I'm not saying they're the horror genre at all. I'm just saying that they are... Can be, like, Blade more specifically than this, but... This this came out... uh, The reason why I'm bringing this up, the reason why I'm saying it this way is because it came out on February 14th, 2003. Friday, February 14, 2003. He went on Valentine's Day, and I'm like, how can you release a Daredevil movie on Valentine's Day? What the hell is that all about? Um, at the time, my uh, my uncle Robert and Aunt Debbie's oldest child, Rachel, my oldest cousin out of their kids, uh, she her wedding was the very next day, February 15, 2003. <laughs> so... <laughs> I wanted to see this movie because I kept seeing in the trailers a certain Canadian rock band that I absolutely love that everybody else in the entire world hates, even though they, they've they sold God close to, you know, five billion albums in their almost 20 years on this planet. But anyway, um, yeah. So 
We, the three of us, myself, Rachel, and her future husband, Joe, actually went to go see this the night it opened. Oh, Jesus. The day before they got married. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. Because um, my mom and I had, had, uh, had um, like February 14, 2003. Was I living up there then? No, I had already. I don't know. I think I was still, because there was a point where I had moved from being here in Kentucky to other, a few other places between 2000 and 2003. I think I was still living up in Massachusetts at the time. I don't think I had to fly up for her wedding. But anyway, um, so I wanted to go see Daredevil and my mom didn't really want to have anything to do with it. And Rachel's like, Oh sure. You know, we'll go, you know, we'll go and we'll have fun and whatever else. And we went and saw the movie and I enjoyed the movie. I like Ben Affleck as an actor. I mean, you know, after you, you know, win an Oscar for, you know, Chucky, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> well, and, you find and, yourself here <laughs> and, and this will be something that I'm definitely going to be talking about because yeah. th- this was there, there's something about there's a stigma with comic book characters and actors who win who, who win Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me start right off. Halle Berry and Catwoman. Halle Berry wins an Academy Award for Monsters Ball, comes back the next year and does Catwoman, and it flops. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have, uh, oh, God, you have Ben Affleck. He wins the Academy Award for Goodwill Hunting mm-hmm. and then comes out in the comic book movie Daredevil, and basically it's panned by critics. Uh, don't get me wrong, folks. I... I I liked the movie to a point, but it was hard. There were a lot of things that were hard for me to, to, to swallow with it. Okay. Uh, when we get to when we get to talking about the Daredevil TV series, because that will be coming up here in this episode much later yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, there will be some things that I'll bring up that I really like about that and comparisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly, let let's start off with. Let's kind of run through the plot here. This one here actually takes place more with uh, – you've got several stories going on. You've got Bullseye coming in. You've got Daredevil showing up. You, you get the origin story, which was pretty much short and sweet. Yeah. He gets blinded you know, by chemicals, and then he kind of goes through the rest of, the, rest of it. You know, He kind of goes through his life, and he discovers that he's got these powers to where he can sense everything, and he's kind of got this radar-like bat sense. Yeah, I'll say this, and I don't know. People who are listening to the podcast, please write in and correct me if I'm wrong in this. I have never read the original Daredevil origin in the Marvel Comics universe, Mm -hmm. so I could be wrong. In the TV show, his origin shows him getting blinded by saving the old man. In the film... Oh, and people, right now I'm going to say this. We're only... We're only nine minutes into this recording. When we get to the TV show, we are going to spoil the hell out of it. So if you have not watched the Daredevil TV show, when we get to that point, stop the podcast, go spend 13 hours, and watch the goddamn show. And we will, but, we will take a break for that so you can yes. stop. It's not yeah. a problem. We will stop no. for that. Uh, yeah. um, so in the movie, the reason why Matt gets into the accident is because he sees – his father working for Fallon as an enforcer, 
and it just shocks him to his core and just basically destroys everything he thought about. His, I don't know why I want to call Jack Murdoch Howlin' Mad Murdoch, but it, it, 18 Daredevil crossover? No thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so he sees his dad doing something that he knows is wrong, that he doesn't want to... Like, doesn't want to see his dad do this ends up getting him to the point where he needs to run away and whatever else and he runs through these docks because his dad used to work down at the docks and he he runs in front of a i believe it's a forklift and the forklift careens around and slices through these chemicals and the chemicals end up in his eyes and it's a really really rough cut because it goes to dark immediately and then it opens up from a black screen into him in the hospital scratching at his eyes and scratching at his face and whatever else to try to figure out what the hell is going on um so i don't know if the accident in the film is the proper origin or if the way he tried to save the old man in the tv show is the proper origin well i'm gonna say because there was Back in God, the 90s, I'm going to make this reference. They had a Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk uh, TV movie where they had a guy who came out and he, I forget who he was, he was a blonde guy who came out and basically played the role of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And in that one, there, they gave the origin as being that he rescued an old guy and, and you know, there was an accident, chemicals got spilled into his eyes from, from the car crash. And so he went blind. So I'm thinking that that's the correct one. Again, mm-hmm. take it with a grain of salt because this is all through three different origin stories that I've heard for Daredevil. Right. Um, so that's how Matt gets blinded in the movie. And his father eventually stops being an enforcer and goes back to boxing. And up until the point where he is told to throw a fight, and he doesn't want to throw the fight. And he doesn't throw the fight. Thus, end up, you know, Jack Murdoch is dead. Yeah, and it's it's sad. That is pretty close to what happens in the series, and, you know, I mean, it's pretty much what happens in the comic book series as well, so yeah. I'll accept that. You know, it's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I they had way too much going on for this. They crammed way too much into the movie, and I think that's part of what killed it. I mean, you have the love story that's going on with him and Electra. Mm-hmm. You have Bullseye coming in, and and you know, Bullseye. That that was something that bugged me was that I really thought that Bullseye should have played more of a role. It was just kind of like, oh, here I'm going to kill your girlfriend, and that's it. I mean, there was mm-hmm. there was more to it than that, but. That was like his big thing. He really didn't have a whole lot of screen time, except for when he killed the guy with a with a um, <laughs> yeah. And I was kind of like, okay. I mean, he gets a lot of screen time. Yeah. I mean, he kills the guy with the paperclip in the very in, when we first see him. He's then on the plane. He kills the poor old lady with the peanut. Yeah. Because uh, he he banks it off the tray table. Is like. Bank shot. It's like Bullseye is the 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 white Michael Jordan. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, he comes into town. He goes to Kingpin. Now, 
for me personally, when I remember this movie first coming out, I wasn't too big. I didn't really get big into the internet, re- like really online kind of stuff until probably 2006. I, I just I wasn't into AIM or MSN Messenger. Like, and these are God, I can't believe that's only ten years old. But anyway, you know, I mean. I was kind of big on the internet in 98, 99, 2000, and then from 2001 to 2006, I just really wasn't, and there wasn't all that, I mean, back then we were still waiting for trailers and waiting for, you know, Entertainment Tonight to have some sort of little clip with with whatever cast members or the late night uh, talk show host or whatever else, so it's one of those things where when I first heard Michael Clark Duncan as the kingpin, I'm like, seriously? Yeah. You got You got Bear? From Armageddon to be the kingpin. You got the big old black bear from Mother Bear. <laughs> bear yeah. Um, and I don't have a problem with them doing a race change for a character, but I wasn't sure how that was going to be pulled off or played because I was so used to the kingpin in general being in the 1994 Spider Man animated series cartoon. And in that, he was a white guy. Not yeah. that it really matters to me either way. It does. I, it doesn't. I mean, Michael Clark Duncan was an amazing kingpin. Yeah, he, he was. Um, he's one of the best parts about that movie. There, uh, there were a lot of things though, and I'm going to say this based on there. There was some ugliness based on the fact that Duncan was cast as kingpin as the bad guy, and mm-hmm. some of that was kind of a lot of people I know came out and said, I can't believe they chose to put a black guy into that sort of role in that you're just stereotyping the black man being the bad guy. But see, that's the thing. That's why I love the casting, though, with him, because from what I knew of the character in general, I don't care what read the, the guy could be purple for all I give a crap. Yeah. Um, you know. The character in general, from what I know of his origin, from when we saw him in uh, in um, Spider-Man TAS. Okay, so this isn't your typical role. This is a guy who as is at the top. This is a guy who goes to Bullseye and says, "Look, get the job done." Yeah. This is a guy. This isn't you know, yo homie, you want some drugs? This isn't your average African American drug dealer on the street. This isn't your, you know, this isn't just some criminal. This is a guy who has built a criminal empire and he has expectations. So putting an African American in that role, I think, really worked because not only because of the way Michael Clark Duncan is, but obviously in 2003, who else was going to play the role? And, and that's part of why I when was it comes like, to the size of the character. And yes, and and that is another issue that well, and I don't want to say I had an issue with it. I thought it was perfect for it. Once we actually saw them in the final mm-hmm. fight, yeah, I was like, okay, Kingpin, because one of the things from the comics is that Kingpin is supposed to be like he's supposed to be like 400 pounds, okay. But it's all muscle. It's yep. not fat. He is not fat. He is just an imposing figure. And he can beat the crap out of somebody. Yep. Uh, I, I thought that that was impressive. And to have Michael Clark Duncan pull that off, when I saw him fighting at the end, I'm like, okay, that right there sealed it for me. I'm like, 
yeah, he's mm-hmm. kingpin now. <laughs> yeah. And there, since 2003, there hasn't been anyone in my mind other than the old cartoon series, but that was a cartoon series. I mean, this is a little different, but I mean, as far as live action goes, until Michael Clark Duncan passed away, he was always going to be kingpin in my mind. Yes. Until this year. So yeah. we'll talk about that later, but until this year. You know, Michael Clark Duncan, amazing actor, you know, absolutely love him. Uh, but as Kingpin, he really does rule. Um, so he has Bullseye go after, uh, let's see. Uh, so, so to avenge uh, Matt's dad's death, you know, he uses his abilities to become the crime vigilante daredevil in the present Matt meets Electra daughter of Nicholas and um, Nicholas Nachios is a businessman who has dealings with Wilson Fisk and all this and all that and I kind of liked how Electra and Matt met I liked that playground fight that was some good choreography I thought oh yeah um, that was really cool. Um, and I like their banter back and forth because I think this was filmed in between the point of the Benefer breakup and the two of Gardner and, and Affleck getting together. Yeah. So that, that, that happened. Um, it was one Benefer to another Benefer. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, I, I I don't know. I just had a hard time with her being Electra, and the fact that one of the facts that they put her into black leather, you know, mm-hmm. black skin tight leather, when all the outfits that she's ever done have been like this red gypsy right. costume. Yeah, that well, just kind of they had to. It had to fit the tone of the movie, and Matt's suit was already so dark red. Yeah. So. I mean, when I say I enjoyed Electra in this movie, it's more so when she's not in costume. Don't get me wrong, the whole thing with her sigh and the training and, 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 and the end fight scene and all that stuff and the sigh going through her hand, that was awesome action. But as far as her character goes, I enjoyed her outside of the costume. Yeah. she. I, I think she was much better in that particular situation. Yeah. Um, you know, I... I don't know. I mean, there was there was a lot of stuff that I did like. We do obviously find out that uh, Electra finds, you know, Electra discovers that Matt is Daredevil. We do find mm-hmm. that out. Uh, you know, and that's like right after. What is it like? Right before she. Um, right after the funeral. That's right. Right after the funeral, she she finds out, and then she's like all pissed off, and she goes, "I'm going to go fight Bullseye," and he kills her pretty quickly. Yeah, um, you know the one thing I, you know I'll, I'll give the you know inside the the costume of Electra I'll, I'll give Jennifer Gardner all the props in the world. I saw all the DVD special features about the behind the scenes stuff on this, and them doing their own stunts and her and this is at a time where she was three seasons into Alias, so she was kicking ass in general anyway. Oh yeah, so. Um, you know, that whole thing with her running up the wall and flipping back over Bullseye and whatever. Oh, man. Just 
so such a great action in this movie. Um, <laughs> uh, so you know the whole Electra Daredevil thing happens, and you know he tries explaining to her, "Hey, look, it's not you know." I'm not the bad guy, and blah, 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 and she pulls the mask off, and she realizes it's Matt, and she realizes she's almost killed him, and Bullseye's on his way. They have that fight. Matt somehow makes it out of the fight and gets to the church, where that's where he and Bullseye really do fight, and Bullseye finds out, hey, <laughs> the Sonics really screw up the Daredevil yeah. <laughs> radar, <laughs> and we have the whole pipe organ thing, and whatever else we then get to the kingpin fight and that was pretty I, awesome it was pretty awesome but i found it a little convenient because they set it up earlier when he's explaining to her about the rain and how it's like a a radar sense for him and he can actually see because of the outlines of the raindrops oh yeah as soon as that came back into play with the kingpin fight i'm like yep it, you know, Electra's dead, ghost of Electra, you know, basically break the glass, and yeah. bing, bam, boom, there you go. Uh, you know, he fights Kingpin. Kingpin basically beats the ever-living shit out of him until Daredevil basically breaks his kneecaps. <laughs> um, and he ends up on his knees and whatever else. And, you know, the end of the movie is... God, I'm trying to think. Isn't it the playground scene again with the necklace? Yes. Now, there are bits and pieces we've overlooked here, folks. There are things that have happened in the movie that I do want to talk about a little bit. Um, i got to talk about the the Casada court case. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> the Casada court case, and Matt loses the case, and he says, I don't remember the direct line, and I'm not looking at the at the wiki pages or the IMDb pages to get the direct quote, but he's like, you know, okay, so if I can't get justice this way, I'll get it this way. Now, I have to bring this up, and I know a lot of people are going to scream at their iPods for me even bringing it up, because I know it's sacrilegious to talk about Nickelback, but I don't give a shit. They're one of my favorite bands in the world. Um, they were kind of coming down off of the whole, well, Chad was, um, off of, Chad Kroger was off the, uh, off the whole um, successive hero from the Spider-Man soundtrack um before that they had released uh, silver side up in 2001 and for me at that time as you know i was 2001 i was 21 between 21 and 23 years old i was still like and i still am to this day but i'm less like oh my god when am i getting new nickelback but it's one of those things where back then i was like oh my god when am i getting new nickelback and i was in the theater <laughs> Valentine's Day night with my cousin and her future husband. And we get to the bar scene. And I don't care if it was distorted, which it was, but I'm like, that's Chad Kroger. That's Nickelback. Learn the hard way. Holy crap. I, I didn't know what the track was at the time, but you know, in retrospect, I know what the name of it is now. And I'm like, holy crap. New Nickelback, yes, as soon as the movie was over before we left the mall. Because up in Massachusetts, we um, the Kingston Independence Mall had a movie theater inside of it. 
Nice. I was like, before the mall closes, before we leave, I have to go to the record town. And I bought the soundtrack that night. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you get the bar scene and you got – and I'm like, what's Nickelback doing in a Daredevil movie? Wait a minute. Is this new music? Are we getting a new album? What's going on here? Because I was still – you know, I, I knew certain bands and certain artists would do like you know soundtrack singles and stuff like that or maybe to promote their upcoming music or whatever else. And, and um, I'm like, ooh. And then so this is February when this happens. In September, so seven months after this movie came out, they released The Long Road, their third studio album. I'm like, oh, hell yeah, that was awesome. But no, the bar scene is just absolutely hilarious. His, you know, Daredevil swinging on the fan and beating Casada up and and everything else and oh, yeah. getting into the subway. And in the subway is where we meet Ben Urich after the fact of the fight. To this day, I still have no idea how they do this. But Ben's talking to the cop, and the cop, you know, the cop's like, "Forget it, you're you're crazy. There's no devil of hell's kitchen. There's no daredevil. No such thing." Oh, really? Lights a cigarette, keeps the match, throws the match down, and it outlines double D's. Yes, I, I still. Don't know how. Like, I know it's a movie practical effect because they wanted to get it in there. Right. But I'm thinking in the con- – and I, I know I'm overthinking this, folks, but I'm just – I'm trying to give you guys some, some insight here as far as to when – I'm thinking, how the hell did Daredevil pull that off? Like, how did he set that – he couldn't have set that up pre-fight because, you know, but what did he – he could – in the time frame of the movie, he couldn't have known that the guy was going to be not found, you know, not guilty or whatever else and whatever – I don't know, that's a little weird. I mean, yeah. it's a nice little homage. It's a nice little way of revealing the character of Daredevil. Um, <clears throat> you have this whole thing with the other cop, uh, Mike, um, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of his name. The um, old cop with the pacemaker. Oh, um, um, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I I, I can't think of it uh, off the Nick t- Manolis? Nick, Nick, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there we go. I, I thought it was Mike, but it's Nick. Um, so, well, mm. let's let's go over speaking yeah, of which. Yeah. Let's kind of run through the cast here because there yeah. are quite a few people here. Obviously, we've got quite a few big names. Uh, <laughs> let's start with Batfleck. <laughs> Okay. Okay. This movie, now, this movie, he felt was, Ben Affleck felt that this movie was bad enough for him to never again put on a superhero outfit. I believe at this, no, he's not a liar. At this time, I believe they promised him Batman. Because this was 2003, 2002, 2003. Dark Knight, um, or Batman Begins had not happened yet. So I believe somebody somewhere promised him Batman because that's what he wanted to do. But that didn't work out. I, again, I could be wrong, folks. But um, but yeah, so we got Batfleck. Um, and I mean, he's got some amazing, just 
amazing credits to his name. And he's got some really crappy movies to his name as well. But, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of like, um, what is it? Um, uh, no, 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 it's, uh, it's Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back when they're arguing in the, in the Goodwill Hunting 2s. It's like, you know, you gotta do the moneymaker, then you gotta do the crappy movie, then you gotta, you know, you gotta do a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yep. Um. And I'll have to put that in here, because that's probably one of the best lines out of that movie. What are we gonna do now? <laughs> it's hunting season. Hunting season. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, this, this movie, I mean, him in this role... <sighs> Obviously, we've seen Ben do other things. Goodwill Hunting, um, Paycheck. Uh, he he directed Argo and won an Academy Award for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's done a lot of good things. It's just, for some reason, this was his horrible superhero stereotype that got him, you know, that people remember. And they don't remember things like Gili or... Jersey Girl. They remember Daredevil. But see, Gili was probably worse than Daredevil. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, Jersey Girl, you know, Jersey Girl I kind of give a pass to more so for Kevin Smith than for Ben Affleck because that was kind of Kevin's film for his dad. Yeah. And that that was the last film I believe George Carlin had done for him. Um other than the uncredited cameo in Field of Dreams in 1989 at Fenway Park, the first film I ever saw Ben Affleck in was Shannon Hamilton in Mallrats. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and the fact that he comes around and you know he's obviously Kevin Smith is sticking up for him and saying, "Hey, you really should do more of these types of roles." And you know him and him and Kevin were very tight. Uh, they've had a falling out since then, but no, they haven't. I don't think have they. Uh, they la- when oh God, you missed the you missed the Comic Con panel last year. He he like lambasted uh, Ben at, at you know he did this whole thing. So uh, there's there's been a falling out. It's almost <sighs> as bad as him and Bruce. So we'll see what happens with it. Wait, 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 wait. Him and Bruce. Bruce Willis. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Kevin, like, Kevin and Bruce. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, after that, obviously, I saw him in Chasing Amy as Holden McNeil, Goodwill Hunting. Uh, then the next time I saw him, I know he's been in other films, but next time I saw him was as, you know, Steven Tyler's daughter's husband, A.J. Frost in Armageddon. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, shut up. I love Armageddon. That movie is awesome. I don't care what anybody says. Um, <laughs> so we're not pointing oh, okay, out all the scientific okay, oh, oh, errors. Okay, with okay, wait, 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 okay. wait, 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 wait. Take us, take one of those old weighing scales. Put Armageddon on the left scale. Put Forces of Nature on the right scale. Which one is worse? Come on, Armageddon was oh. a goddamn good movie. Yeah, it was. A, it was a <laughs> Michael Bay, Jerry Bruckheimer movie. Yeah, you know. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we saw him as Bartleby in Dogma. Boiler Room, and then in 2000 began the downfall of Ben Affleck. You had Reindeer Games, Bounce. Uh, he kind of bounced back up with Pearl Harbor. 
No, he didn't. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm sorry. <laughs> I watched that movie twice only because I had women who wanted. I, you know, I had dates that I went on that they wanted to go mm. see that movie. Good God, it does not get any better the second time around. Four hours is not. Uh, oh God, my ass is still numb from thinking about that. <laughs> uh, and then uh, in 2001, he was he reprised uh, Holden in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Jay and Silent Bob movie. Who would pay to see that? <laughs> you know, uh, he was in Changing Lanes in 2002. Some of All Fears is Jack Ryan in 2002 as well. 2003 was Daredevil. Then we had Gigli, Paycheck, Jersey Girl, Surviving Christmas, Man About Town, Clerks 2, um, Hollywood Land, Smoke and Aces. He's just not that indie. Oh my God, I can't believe he's in that movie. Uh, he was in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, obviously Argo, uh, The Town. The Town, I love that movie. Oh, man. As a Massachusetts kid, that movie is amazing. Uh, he was in uh, Runner Runner last year, Gone, or not last year, two years ago, Gone Girl last year. And he's going to be, uh, he's going to be Batman. Uh, in Batman vs. Superman, and take this with a grain of salt, people, because it has that he is announced to be Batman Bruce Wayne in Justice League Parts 1 and Part 2. Um, we'll see if the geeks don't overthrow and you know rise up and riot. <laughs> we'll have to see, because after, after if, the trailer was released, I know that there's been so much talk... I, I can't make my judgment yet. I, I I haven't really seen the trailer full through, so I'm not gonna see the trailer. Doesn't it's supposedly just a two minute eighteen teaser. So when's a real theatrical trailer gonna show up? It's that that, that two minute eighteen second teaser that that Snyder released uh, this past Friday or whenever this podcast goes up. It was Friday the uh, the eighteenth of or no Friday the seventeenth of April. Um, you know. It was two minutes and 18 seconds, and it barely showed anything. It has a nice little voiceover, you know, asking Superman, tell me, do you bleed, or whatever else. Yeah. And, but it doesn't really show anything. It, like, I don't want the trailer to give away anything, but even as a teaser, there are better teasers out there. I want an actual theatrical film trailer that shows us what he is like as Bruce Wayne and what he is like as Batman. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, Ben Affleck. Uh, so there's him. Garner, uh, she is now... I, I think she stole Samuel Jackson's job because I've seen her in a few Capital One ads these days. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, here's the thing with, with Jennifer Garner. My mom and I both say the same thing about her. She is a very pretty woman when she smiles. Mm-hmm. Anytime that she's not smiling, if she's just kind of like smirking or if she's looking pissed, mm-hmm. oh man, she is one ugly chick. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> you could, you know, you could cut diamonds with those cheekbones of hers. <laughs> okay, now I know I'm probably going to catch a whole lot of hell for that. I don't really care. I'm at the point where it's like, you know, shh. She's not my type. Uh, she was okay. So as far as her filmography go, she started in '95 in a TV movie called Zoya, 
She then went to Harvest of Fire. Uh, the next big thing people might have seen her in is an episode of Law and Order called Aftershock. Uh, she was on an episode of Spin City. Um, the one of the bigger things that she had done was uh, Significant Others. Um, let's see here. Uh, Time of Your Life, which is a Fox TV series, I believe, and that was lasted less than two years. Um, she was in Pearl Harbor. Uh, Felicity for a few episodes. Catch oh my me if God. you. Dude, where's my car? Yeah, she was Wanda and Dude, where's my car? I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Daredevil, Catch Me If You Can, Alias, um, 13 Going On 30. Uh, she was in Electra. Um, more recently, as of last year, she was in Draft, not, well, yeah, last year, 2014, she was in Draft Day. Um,. She was in The Odd Life of Timothy Green in 2012. She was in Dallas Buyers Club in 2013. Um, I think the most recent thing that people have seen her in is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Yeah. Okay, that right there, the name should say, it's based on a kid's book. Terrible, Horrible, No Good Movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, With her... It boils down to Alias for me. I loved Alias. Oh, that yeah. show was amazing. Um, so, uh, let's see here. Colin Farrell. This was the first movie he really had a chance to use his Irish, uh, his core Irish-speaking accent. Um, before this, I'm trying to think. Uh, he debuted in 95 uh, with um, Frankie, Frankie Starlight. Um, See, and I, I have to remember. I have to be honest. I didn't remember him until Phone Booth. Um, yeah, he was in uh, Hearts War, Minority Report, and then we got Phone Booth in 2002. We got The Recruit in 2003 with Daredevil. Uh, but <laughs> 2003, we got SWAT with yep. him as Jim Street. Um, he was. I, I will give him this. I liked him as Jim Street in SWAT. Yeah, he was pretty good. I, he was, carried through on that one. He unfortunately tried to copy Don Johnson as Sonny Crockett in Miami Vice in 2006. Oh, God. I still have not seen that movie, and I probably never will. Don't, um, just don't. <laughs> most recently, he uh, two years ago, he was in Dead Man Down. He's been on several episodes of the HBO, I believe it's HBO, or hell, he's going to be, uh, in uh, True Detective as Ray Velcro, or Velcoro. Yeah, that's, um, that's going to be coming up in season two, and he's mm-hmm. supposed to be basically the entire cast they had before with Matthew McConaughey and um, Woody Harrelson, they're going away and they're going to be completely replaced with new detectives, and... Colin Farrell is going to pick up as one of those new detectives. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I, I really have no interest in it. Sorry. If there's true detective fans out there, great. More power I to you. I don't have HBO, so I don't. It's not on my radar at all. Yeah. Uh, the big man, Big Papa Bear, Michael Clark Duncan, he debuted in an episode of Renegade in 1995. Oh, Jesus. So wait. All these actors, Jennifer Gardner, 
um, Colin Farrell and Michael Clark Duncan, they all got their start acting in 1995. Uh, he was a craps player in the movie Friday in 1995. I think I remember that. He was on uh, an episode of Bo- The Bold and the Beautiful in 95. <laughs> he was a bouncer in Married with Children. He was on the Weird Science TV series for an episode. Uh, he was on the Wayans Brothers TV series. I'm looking at most of his stuff here. It's He seems to be playing either a bouncer, a bodyguard, or a big-ass mm-hmm. security guard. He was on Sister Sister as Big Earl. Yeah. And then in 1999, he hit it big as John Coffey in The Green Mile. Oh man, he was excellent in that. Mm-hmm. That was that right there. I think was what introduced him to most of the people out there, where they got a chance to see him as something of the, well, for lack of a better term, the gentle giant. Because that's really kind of what he was. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, he then he did a video game. He did Star Trek Klingon Academy. He was the opening movie Klingon's voice. Uh, he was in the whole nine yards as Franklin Frankie Figs Figueroa in 2000. He was, a, he was the voice of Sam in Cats and Dogs. Uh, he was in the 2001 version of Planet of the Apes. That sounds so racist, too. I hate to what? Say that. What? The 2001 version of Planet of the Apes? How the is fact, that? The fact that they made him into an ape, that's all. Uh, I, I know I'm going way, way wrong with that. Uh, I will say this, though. I, I have to tell this story because I remember right after right after something came out, and I, I want to say it was uh, – was it Daredevil? I think it was. He mm-hmm. or – either that or The Island. He was on uh, Jay Leno, and he's talking mm-hmm. about this, and he said – he goes, yeah, you know – and he tells this kid, he, he sees this kid, and he goes, they're watching Brother Bear, and he's at, the, he's at this thing, and he tells the kid, he goes, hey, you know who I am? And he goes, man, this little kid, he was a sharp kid, but, man, he had to be some little racist son of a, son of a bitch. <laughs> and Jay Leno goes, what do you mean? What do you mean, this little kid? And he goes, well, I asked the little kid if he knew who I was, and the little kid looked up, and he goes, oh, yeah, I know who you are. You're the big old black bear. <laughs> and he said he just started laughing. He goes, he goes, you know what? The kid was six. He goes, okay, I just let it go. <laughs> he goes, he, he goes. He said he was just laughing too hard. He goes, it was too damn funny with how it came off. Did you know that he reprised the kingpin in MTV Spider Man? Two M- episodes. MTV had Spider Man. Uh, Two thousand three. Yep. I don't remember it. Maybe I'm just blocking it out. <laughs> you could be, yes. Um, it was Neil Patrick Harris as Peter Parker, Lisa Loeb as Mary Jane Watson, <laughs> Steve from Ian Zering as Harry Osborn. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, MTV Spider-Man 2003. Because um, they wanted to capitalize on the Spider-Man movie and the Daredevil movie at the time and whatever else and put Kingpin in there. He was in... Uh, he was the voice of Future Wade in Kim Possibly, Sitch in Time. Uh, he was Mongo on The Proud Family. He was Rashad the Rocket Randall in Static Shock. Yeah, 
Man, he's done a lot of voiceovers. Yeah, he, he did. He was in CSI in New York for an episode. He was in The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius as Commander Baker. He's got a lot of voiceover credits. He was... <laughs> um, he was in Kung Fu Panda as Commander Vachir. I, I gotta make mention of this. This is a hard one for me to swallow because <laughs> to me, Michael Madsen is the best Kilowog, but he voiced Kilowog. Michael Clark Duncan voiced Kilowog in the Green Lantern movie. No, that was the TV series, I believe. Or was it the movie? Uh, 2011. Uh, 2011 uh, I want to say that was the movie. That was, yeah, you're right, it was the movie. It was the Van Wilder movie, yeah. Yeah. I, <sighs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Michael Madsen will always be Kilowog to me, just like, you know, Kevin. Uh, oh, my God. Kevin what? Uh, Conroy as Batman. Batman, yeah. I'm like, shit, what's his last name? <laughs> Wait, what the hell? Why do they have him? He's dead. What? Yeah. Wait a minute. 2013. When did he pass away? September 3rd, 2012. How is he in? Well, it could have been pre-production, but it must be. This it, must be his like it, last movie. It lists. Well, it lists him as the voice of Groot in Ultimate Spider-Man, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> That's possible. I can see that. Uh, Just before he uh, passed, you know, having something out there still. Yeah. The next time I'd seen him. After um, after the uh, the voice of uh, future Wade and Kim Possible was um, the short, very short lived uh, Fox series, The Finder. He played Leo Knox, and I was like, "Hey, this is 2012." I was like, "Hey, it's it's Kingpin. That's awesome." Uh, it's too bad that show didn't last any longer than it did. Well. Let's move on. Yeah. So there, there are a few other people that I want to mention for this. Uh, One thing we have not mentioned yet that I think we need to. They did homage in this movie, uh, Matt saving uh, the, the old man. Of course. The, the <laughs> Stan Lee cameo. <laughs> Stan Lee cameo. Yep. That was awesome. And then, of course, we have playing Foggy Nelson. <laughs> I gotta mention him. I gotta mention him. I know because he goes on to be he goes on to be a bodyguard for Iron Man. We have John Favreau. Okay, so 2008, the news came out that Iron Man was coming to the big screen, and John Favreau was going to be directing. And I'm like, first first thing out of my mouth was, why the fuck is Foggy Nelson Nelson directing Iron Man? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I had seen other things that he had done. Before this, uh, you know, swingers. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, he did swingers. He was in. Um, God, it was that horrible movie that they had with Vince Vaughn, where he was out at. They were out in like some. Um, Jesus, I'm looking for it now. This is gonna bug me. <laughs> he was Eric the Clown in Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, couples Retreat. That's what I'm thinking of. In oh yeah. I can't believe he was an assistant in Batman Forever. <laughs> Jesus. Using friends for a number of episodes as Pete Becker. Um, he was... Wait, what? 
How the hell was he Rocky in Rocky Marcy? Oh, it was a TV movie, no wonder. Okay. But still, that that should never have happened. Um, he was the voice of uh, Crumford Lorak in uh, in uh, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command 2000. Uh, he was Mac Granite in Rugrats. And then right <laughs> after that, he did Daredevil. Yeah. <sighs> John, we love you, but, you know, stay behind the camera. Sorry. <sighs> Like I don't mind him being Happy Hogan or Foggy Nelson. I think those roles are really cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind him doing voice work because it's fine. It's you know. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. It's it's you know we got to mention John. We got to give him a nod because he has done other things which I thought were good. You know just. The whole scene with him and Happy Ho- as Happy Hogan in uh, Iron Man Two, I think it was, where he does the like the long drawn out kick ass scene to fight one guy. Yeah, yeah. And then you have Scarlett Johansson like kicking ass and taking down six or seven of them all at once. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that pretty much says it all for it. Pretty um, much. Let's see. Do we have any more in the cast? We yeah, there's a cu- there's a couple I want to bring up. Go um, for it. So, we've got uh, Joe Pantoliano, Joey Pants. Um, Joey Pants is awesome. I love this guy. This guy needs to be in more stuff. Uh, the very first time I remember really seeing him, oh, damn, his filmography is long. He got his debut in. Uh, a movie called Road Movie as a Mugger in 1974. So since then, he's been in a ton of crap. He was in the Highlander TV series. He was in Tales of the Crypt. He was in Beethoven's TV series. Oh, the dog, the dog, not the uh, not the composers, uh, composer, I should say. Um, but really, the first thing that really brought me to his attention was Captain Howard in <laughs> Bad Boys. Who's Grava? <laughs> <laughs> you got the drugs? No drugs. You got the money? No money. You know? Yeah. And then and then in Bad Boys 2, him and Martin uh him and Martin Lawrence go through this whole thing. Woosa Cap. Woosa. Woosa. Yeah. Get your shockers right. It just I, I just I just love Joey Pants. I absolutely love the guy. He's absolutely amazing. So well, you got him in the two Bad Boys films. He was in Godzilla the TV series in ninety-eight ninety-nine. Um I have not played Grand Theft Auto 3, but apparently he was Luigi Gotarelli in that. I think the biggest role, the two other biggest roles that people will recognize him from is The Matrix. Because he was the double crosser. That's right. And the Sopranos. He was uh, Ralph Cifaretto uh, in several uh, episodes. I think it was season three. I could be wrong on that, though. Um, I recognized him because my thing, I saw Percy Jackson and Lightning Thief. Uh, Percy Jackson and Why? Okay, I read the books. The books were excellent. The movie was not. <laughs> but he plays as Percy's horrid stepfather Gabe Ugliano and he plays the smoking white trash Italian 
just almost borderline junkie. Right. The best way to put him. And he's just he's a mooch and that's it. That's all he does. Is he gambles away his mom's money. Yeah. And when I saw him, I'm like, I've seen this guy in tons of other things, and I just couldn't start placing him until you started saying, Oh, he's been in this, he's been in that. I'm like, okay, yeah. Now I remember now I remember where I've seen him from. <laughs> okay, so we've already had episodes here on talking about my generation about um the um you know 37 guy so we're not going to go over his entire filmography but i find it absolutely hilarious that kevin smith is credited as jack kirby forensic assistant <laughs> oh yeah there was a whole I mean, bunch of stuff in this one uh, i mean i i mean i knew he was called kirby i didn't realize I, I knew that was probably a reference to obviously jack kirby but i didn't realize they actually used Jack Kirby altogether. Uh, I got to bring up um, Paul Ben Victor, who was Casada in this. Yes. The only reason why I have to bring him up is nothing that he's done recently or since that since Daredevil came out. It was actually something he did before Daredevil came out. He was Mo Howard in the TV movie The Three Stooges in 2000. Oh god! And he played Mo so well. Uh, the other one I wanted to bring up, only because it's going to kind of connect to um, the TV series, is Keith David, or not Keith David, wow, wrong. See, that's the problem when you use Keith and David and David and Keith as first and last names for people. David Keith, who played uh, Matt's dad, Jack Murdoch, he actually has a connection to the kingpin in the television series for Vincent D'Onofrio because he was in several episodes uh, uh, he's in one episode of Law and Order Criminal Intent he was Detective Mark Virginie, Um and I believe I've seen him in a few other things Law and Order related I could be wrong yeah he was in Special Victims Unit as Detective John Hawk Hawkins uh, so but the, the Criminal Intent thing is kind of more apropos since Obviously, that was D'Onofrio's series. Um, Keith David, I like him as an actor. I thought he was good as as Matt Murdock. Uh, not Matt. Jack Murdock. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I love the cast of the movie. I really do enjoy the movie itself. For anyone who doesn't enjoy the theatrical cut, there is also the director's cut. Basically, the main difference to the film is that um, they add the subplot of involving a drug addict played by Coolio. <laughs> uh, it's missing from the theatrical version, but it's present in the novelization by Greg Cox, published in 2003. Um, this one kind of takes it... What, this, what the director's cut for Daredevil does is it basically removes the entire love story angle and focuses on Daredevil versus the villains of Hell's Kitchen. And I thought it was, it's so, it's so much more enjoyable. Don't get me wrong. I love the theatrical cut. I do. But if I'm going to watch a version of Daredevil, it's going to be this director's cut. Yeah. And I kind of wish I had had the director's cut. All I have is the DVD version that was in the $5 bin at Walmart. Yeah. I was, I bought it because I was trying to build my Marvel movie 
collection at the time. And yeah. it was it was like that and Electra were in there and I picked them up. I'm just, you know, five bucks, I can afford that. <laughs> Electra. <laughs> you know, people complain about Daredevil. Um but I- I'm sorry, people. As much as I love Jennifer Gardner, she should have never done that movie. There there are several Marvel bombs in the universe. Uh most of them put out by Sony. Well, yeah. Um, I do want to talk briefly before we take a break and go to the TV series. I do want to talk about the music of the uh, of Daredevil. The score was written by Graham Revel, released in March 4, 2003. He was attracted to the focus of humanness on Daredevil, torn emotions, and physically by his superhero status. Avi Arad asked Revel to concentrate more on the emotions of Daredevil and Electro, while Mark Stephen Johnson wanted to stay clear from any gothic and action movie cliches. Um... And I do have to talk about that. We do have to talk about the soundtrack because, I mean, how can you not talk about this movie and not talk about the soundtrack? Because the soundtrack, um, a lot of it does kick ass, but some of it got way overplayed. Um, the overplayedness is, um, uh, is the, uh, is uh, <laughs> Evanescence and Bring Me to Life. Yeah. After I had heard that, I was like, oh, no. Just, just no. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the Daredevil soundtrack does, and I remember the the marketing for this thing at the time. It was like, all new songs from all your favorite bands and this, that, and the other thing and, and everything else. And it was like, hey, check all this out. And you have new stuff from The Calling. You have new stuff from... Oh, yeah, I've got it here. You've got new stuff from Fuel at the time, a song from Saliva called Bleed For Me, uh, Seether's Hang On, Nickelback's Learn the Hard Way, Man Without Fear, which is Drowning Pool featuring Rob Zombie, um, you've got, uh, Evening Rain by Moby, Bring Me Life by Evanescence, um, Right Before Your Eyes, Hoopastank, uh, you've got My Immortal by Evanescence and Let It Go by Twelve Stones. Um, Bring Me to Life, I think the only reason why I enjoy that song is because it has the lead singer from Twelve Stones, Paul, uh, Paul McCoy on the track with uh, Amy Lee, I believe her name is. I could be wrong. I forget what the lead singer is. I know her first name's Amy. I forget what her last name is. But this soundtrack is kind of kick-ass. I mean, this is in a day where Saliva still had Josie Scott because they don't have him anymore because of whatever. Uh, you know, 12 Stones isn't doing much. The funny thing about this is I know the drummer from 12 Stones, AJ Gaynor, <laughs> because he was, um, at the time, from 2000 to 2001, I was living in Biloxi, Mississippi. He was the midday DJ, AJ Fantastic, at 97.9 WCPR in Biloxi, Mississippi, and he did the all-request lunch, and I actually got to see 12 Stones in concert here in Louisville. Um, 
two different times, actually, um, 2003 and 2007. Uh, I love those guys. They do some great, great music. Um, but this, the album for Daredevil really, it fits the movie, and the songs are just so Some of the songs are just so great. I will say this. I, I liked the Hoobastank song, Right Before Your Eyes, and this one here, versus when they started doing... Uh, what is it? The reason that got so yeah, much the reason. Time. Yeah, yeah. I think the only one that kind of is out of place on here a little bit, and I know why they put it on here because they wanted to mimic the the um, the rain, uh, the whole rain thing from the funeral. But um, evening rain by Moby. Don't get me wrong, I like Moby, folks, but that just doesn't seem like a a song for this movie. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, are we going to take a quick break for the TV show? Yeah, we'll go ahead and break here. So I'm going to give everybody a warning. Shut it off now and don't continue until you've seen all of Daredevil, the TV series. On and Netflix. we mean all of it, not just 11 episodes, not just nine episodes, all 13 hours. Yes. Spend the time. So we'll take a quick break here and we'll be back in a minute. Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been... It's been too long since my last confession. My dad used to come to this church back when I was a kid. He was a fighter. Old school boxer. Lost more than he won at a 24-31 record before. But he could take a punch. Jesus, he could take a punch. Language. Sorry, Father. Yeah, guys he went up against used to say I was like hitting oak. Nights when he was outmatched, my dad's strategy was to let him hit him until they broke their hands. (laughs) He never got knocked out, my dad. I knocked down, sure, but he uh, always got back. He was always on his feet when he lost. Every now and then, though. Every now and then, he'd get hit, and... uh, Something inside of him would snap. My grandmother, she was the real Catholic. Fear of God ran deep, you'd have liked her. She used to say, be careful of the Murdoch boys. They got the devil in them. And you'd see it sometimes. In the ring. His eyes would go dead. And he'd start walking forward real slow. Hands at his sides like he wasn't afraid of anything. And the other guy, he'd, he'd see that look and he'd, he'd try and get away from him. My dad, he'd catch him and, and tra- trap him in the corner. Let the devil out. And I didn't understand it. 
what he was feeling deep inside. I, I didn't understand it. Not back then. But you understand it now? Perhaps this will be easier if you tell me what you've done. I'm not seeking penance for what I've done, Father. I'm asking forgiveness for what I'm about to do. That's not how this works. What exactly are you going to do? All right, folks, we are back and we are going to be discussing now the Daredevil TV series. Uh, I already mentioned spoiler alerts, spoiler alerts, spoiler alerts. So... Anybody like Stephen Ring who might be listening, you know, fuck you if you didn't get this. <laughs> okay. Wait, what? Oh, I didn't hear what. You remember Stephen Ring? I, I got yeah, yelled no, at. I remember Stephen. I got yelled at by him way back when, in, in like episode six, I think it was, when I discussed Star Trek, and okay. we kind of we kind of started going off and talking about Star Trek in the darkness. Oh, okay. And so he he got all pissed off at me because I didn't say spoiler alert. So. Steven, oh, okay. Spoiler alert. Fuck <laughs> yeah. you, you didn't get it. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we should give a little bit of background before we dive into Daredevil here because Netflix, Marvel wanted a network to pick up multiple series. Yeah. I, I'm just doing this off of memory, folks. I'm not looking at anything, so... They wanted a network to pick up multiple series, multiple seasons, or at least you know one season per series. But it was like five or six different series, and Daredevil was one of them. And I have tried a couple of Netflix original series shows. I have not tried House of. I have too much other television shows that I have to watch, folks. I have not gotten into House of Cards. It's just yeah. not on my radar right now. I, I don't have any feelings about the show either way but like i tried like inspector gadget the netflix original series <laughs> no if it's not if it's not maurice lamarche it's not for me and yeah. it's not uh, you know so but this is daredevil damn it it's been 12 years since we've had anything daredevil and i heard i saw the announcement of vincent friggin robert goran d'onofrio from law and order criminal intent going to be kingpin and the fact that this man put on weight for the – I know actors do the weight loss or the weight gain or you know whatever the, the psychological stuff and the physical stuff to get into a role or to get a role. But as I said er, you know, earlier, about an hour ago into the show here, until D'Onofrio was cast, I couldn't see anybody else outside of Michael Clark Duncan being Kingpin. And now that it's D'Onofrio, you can't see anybody oh else. Oh <laughs> my God. It's like the way they have written his character, the way they have crafted his backstory. Oh. You, it's just so great. You really almost feel like, holy crap, this guy should be a sympathetic character, even though he's not. I mean, he, he, uh, he is in a, in a way, but he really isn't. Um, and they 
play the mystery angle a lot. I think it's like for the first two episodes, they play them like, oh my god, you can't say his name. Oh my god, oh my god, yes. blah, blah, blah. You know. Um, I mean, there there was a lot of things leading up to who is he. And I mean, anybody who knows the Daredevil mythos, if you will, mm-hmm. knows that knows who Daredevil's big adversary, his big nemesis is, it's Kingpin. And Kingpin's alter ego is Wilson Fisk. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, to anybody who knows the comics, it's not really that big of a surprise as to who it was going to be. But the fact that they kept him in the shadows, you never actually saw his face. All, you know, I think that the most we ever saw of him in the first two episodes was like the back of his head. We, didn't we saw the we saw the back of his head, and we no the first episode. All we heard was his voice. Yeah, that's all we heard in the first. By the third the third episode is where they introduce him to us, the audience. They don't introduce him to the the other characters in the show, but they introduce his storyline in episode three, Rabbit in a Snowstorm. Um, yeah. And I, at the time when I was watching episode three, I felt oh it's too soon. I want more mystery. I don't want to see him just yet, but after watching how his story, how his past unfolded, I don't quite mind it now that I've watched the whole series, and I think it was an excellent way of bringing him in, and an excellent way of setting up his future wife and Vanessa. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was just, it, it, it could have taken a little longer, you're right, but at the same time, I'm glad that they didn't. I'm glad that they just rolled right through with the way with the way that they did. Uh, one other thing that I really like about this series so far it's it is dark. It is the, the use of light and color in this thing. You see a lot more shadows. You see a lot more greens and blues and reds. But they're everything is it's like it's silhouetting everything, and they do such a good job of using that. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought it was a little distracting, but then when I start seeing it used when they're uh, when we see Daredevil go in in what was it like the second or third episode, and he starts fighting in the hallway and he fights all those guys all in that yeah. one shot, and I was just I was blown away. I said, "Yeah, this is these guys know what they're doing. The director of photography needs to stay. He needs to be given whatever he wants." <laughs> it was just it was so well done. And I, I can't wait. I, I really cannot wait for the next thirteen episodes to hit. They need to. They need to get on this ASAP. I don't. I know that it's coming. I don't know when. Um, I know they've been talking about it. See, the the problem is though that Drew Goddard, the main kind of showrunner, writer, or whatever, in the middle of the the series, he I believe he left the show. Um, so it changed over and some people have said that, oh, did you notice a tonal shift in the, in in the series? And I didn't, I thought it was all very fluid and whatever, but, um, but it's one of those things where it's just so good. Uh, you know, we get the Kingpin story, we get Karen Page, we get Foggy, we, the, my two, my three favorite episodes are Shadows in the Glass, mm-hmm. Nelson v. Murdoch, and uh, 
and Daredevil, which is the 13th episode, the final episode of the season. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, the reason why I love Shadows in the Glass is because it's all Fisk for the most part. It's, it's his origin story. It's his routine. Yeah. And this is a – they're portraying him in a light that we've never really seen before. This is a guy who gets up every single day at a certain time, every, the same time every single day makes his eggs, makes his breakfast, has a neat little thing. And as the series progresses past that, he slowly gets unwound. And by the time, I forget which episode it is, by the time he finally has Vanessa at his apartment, she comments on the apartment and she's like, oh, I like it. I like the furniture. I'm not too sure about the table, though, because he had flipped the table. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That may need to change. Yeah, that may need to change. But I just, everything about this show, absolutely love it. I mean, and half these people, with the exception of two of them, I don't know. And I think that was great. Yeah. I mean, it was, there there were some people that I knew, uh, there were some people that I recognized because I'd seen them in other things, and I kept thinking to myself, it wasn't bad, but it was like I saw them, and I'm like, where have I seen them from before? And that was kind of what was going through my head. But most of those were, even then, just kind of cameos, and they weren't distracting to the entire overall storyline. Right. The one person out of all of the, the cast that I... I'm thinking, what? Where where do I know this guy? I've seen him before. What's going on here? I know. I shut up. I know. I know. I know. Where have I seen him? And then um, <laughs> I forget who put it up. Steve um, Saylor did. Yeah, it was Steve Saylor on Facebook. Steve Saylor from ThisWeekInGeek.net. Uh, Steve Saylor put it up on Facebook. Something about, you know, when you finally realize that Foggy Nelson is Fulton Reed, your <laughs> mind just gets blown. And I'm like, whoa, wait, what? Eldon, yeah. <laughs> Eldon Henson, um, which I'm surprised he's not, I know he's not related to uh, uh, Jim and them, but... Uh, but, uh, you know, Fulton Reed in the Mighty Ducks trilogy with Emilio Estevez, it's like, that's the one of the original Bash Brothers is the new Foggy Nelson. That's amazing. Yeah. Just looking at his, and I know we're not getting into this just now, but I just want to give people, you know, a, a quick thing here. Um, he, uh, outside of Mighty Ducks, he was in uh, She's All That. He was in Idle Hands. He was he, one of his very first roles was an episode of First and Ten in 1984. He was on As the World Turns 84 to 85. Um, he was in Jaws: The Revenge in 87. As additional voices, it says here he was in Turner and Hooch as Eric Boyette. I oh God, that's probably a movie we need to revisit. I haven't seen Turner and Hooch in forever. Yeah, I haven't. I um, it was good, but haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, but just the whole thing and like 
Oh my god, Fulton fucking Reed, what the hell? <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it was awesome once I realized it. I'm like, oh, oh damn. Yeah, I mean, I had, to, I had to sit down and show my wife this. I'm like, look, 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 you see this guy? You see this guy? And she's like, uh-huh. I said, do you recognize him? She's like, no. no. Should I? I go, okay, have you seen Mighty Ducks? And she goes... Is that? And I go, he was one of the Bash brothers. And she goes, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> it's just that sort of reaction. And yeah. I, I loved it. And just being able to have that, yes, it was it was a very small thing, but finally being able to make that click was a wonderful thing. And, and he does such a good job in this. The, the character is well-rounded. He is not just, you know, he's not just thrown in there as this typical comic relief sidekick that is kept in the dark and i really like the fact that he that he knows about matt's secret Mm -hmm. uh takes what 11 episodes for it to get there but he knows (laughs) yeah but that but that was what was so good about it in the show when we get to episode 11 nelson versus murdoch um i think that's episode 11 it's either episode Uh, 11 or 12 one of the two uh, no, episode 10, oh. Nelson v. Murdoch. Um, you know, when the secret is finally revealed, we get their origin, how they met. And that's one thing that this show does so well. It takes the major characters and, you know, right from the get-go, we get Karen Page's origin. You know, she's working for this construction, you know, a- a union allied, whatever else, and she finds that there's something wrong with it and her whole, I was surprised that she didn't end up dying by the end of season one. Cause I believe, and again, I, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong. Karen page in most of the daredevil continuity doesn't live for long. No, she gets, she actually gets killed off by bullseye. Bullseye hits her with the club, bounces it and it, it, it hits her and kills her. There was actually a what if comic that was done. What if Karen Page had lived? And basically, Bullseye—you know, Bullseye's mark was missed off when uh, it, it was off when Daredevil hits him with something, and mm-hmm. it sets it off, and it only catches her in the shoulder instead of killing her. So, there's that. Uh, the one thing. So, this series is indefinitely on the outskirts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, I don't mind that. They make reference to the Battle of New York. They make jokes about, you know, men in suits and guys with hammers and that that kind of thing. I don't mind that, and I like that because it gives us a feel who have seen all the Marvel movies that are in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It gives us a feel of, hey, this is just one big giant New York City, and that's all well and good. According to Wikipedia, Loeb, Jeff Loeb has stated that there are possibilities – for the series to cross over into I I don't I don't mind it being on the outskirts but I want them to be able to tell their own Daredevil stories. I don't want to see Daredevil in Infinity Gauntlet. I don't think he belongs there. No, or no, Infinity no, no. Yeah, uh, Infinity War. Um, you know, I want him in Hell's Kitchen. Like if if Iron Man shows up on the show, hey, sure, cool, great. You know, whatever. I mean, because Daredevil and Iron Man have a long-standing comic relationship history. Have you been reading uh, the current series, Superior Iron Man? No, 
No, the You're last superior, sure. last superior thing I read was uh, Superior Spider-Man, and I I wanted to get into Iron Man and just haven't. Superior Iron Man is awesome. You really should read it. Um, it it's just so good. But in in that um, Tony's whole kind of end game kind of thing, his Extremis 3.0 app gives Matt his sight back for a limited time. It's it's awesome. It really is awesome how the two of them interact in in that series. But anyway, um, so I don't mind if something crosses over into this, Yeah. but I want this to be able to stand on its own two feet, and so far it has. I mean, sure, they've... You know, as I've said, they reference stuff you know in and around the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I do not want an Agents of Shield crossover with this series. That is one yeah. thing I am vehemently against because personally, I, Agents of Shield sucks. <laughs> well, and here's the thing: is that Agents of Shield immediately started throwing way too many references back and forth with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Daredevil yeah. has had. A few here and there references, but they're small. Yeah, and I would be okay even if, like, if all of a sudden we see Vincent D'Onofrio show up on an episode of Shield, where you know it's not like he's a major character, but maybe he's there because of something that's going on with Shield, and you know they're trying to investigate him and what's going on in Hell's Kitchen. I could see a storyline with that. I could see Jessica Jones coming in, and, and you know, and having a crossover a little bit, you know. I could see them making the Thor reference or seeing Thor fly through or something like that. Or even, because th- this is a very big possibility, but Spider-Man and Daredevil have had lots of crossovers within the comic series. Yeah, but they got to get him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe proper first before right. they put him here. Right, and for all we know, they may end up throwing Miles Morales at us, which that would be a nice mm-hmm. touch. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. That wouldn't be. It'd be something different other than trying to find a better Peter Parker. Um, yeah. Uh, overall, I mean, I'm I'm loving this show so far. It's excellent. Everything is dark. It's gritty. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we are... It's going to sound really bad, but the fact that we're hearing swear words come out. You know, I ain't done with this shit type thing, you know. And you're hearing, mm-hmm. you're hearing uh, Ben Yurk cussing. You're hearing... Uh, you know, you're hearing that, you're seeing Aaron the fight page. Yeah, yeah, just, it's, it is rough, but it are, captures it perfectly. Are, are they trying to set up her and Foggy as an item, or are they going to eventually set her and Matt up as, like, I know in the comics it's, I know in the comics it's her and Matt that's the, that's the couple, but in the series, in these first 13 episodes, it really feels like they're trying to push, and I don't mean in a bad way, but it really feels like they're trying to push Karen and Foggy together, which I wouldn't have a problem with in this series. It's something different. It's something we haven't seen before, or something I haven't seen before. I don't. Again, I don't know if it's happened anywhere else, but um, I just kind of got the feeling that almost every scene that Karen and Foggy are in, it's like that romantic cliff is like right there but they just can't jump yet well and that's something that's kind of that i kind of picked up on last night because i finished the series last night at 10 o'clock 
Yeah, uh, after a week and a half of me telling you, you need to watch the whole fucking thing. I know, I know, and I understand why now. I told you. Okay, I understand why. <laughs> I, yes, okay. It, it, it's You have to watch it. If for nothing else than the very end, the fight scene between Daredevil and Fisk. And that's all I really want to say about that because I can't justify it properly with words. You got to watch it. But it, it's such a good series because of that. And you have to watch the entire thing all the way through. Spend the time. Binge watch. I, I tried to do a full-on binge watch. And, I, and just I ran out of time, honestly. I, I started watching a couple episodes Monday night. I figured, okay, we'll go. I'll be able to get through it Tuesday no. night. No. This, no. Because the, the, if they had done – like, because this is a Netflix original series – the way Netflix is doing their original series is they put whole seasons on their streaming service. Yes. It, it, this is not broadcast television. This isn't something where, oh, hey, let's watch the pilot episode and we can then comment on that and decide whether we're going to watch. No, this is something where you needed to watch all 13 episodes to be pre- prepared for this discussion because – there's a lot of shit that happens in these 13. Like the last three episodes, 11, 12, and 13. Oh, God. Just so much stuff. I can't believe they killed Ben. I just can't believe that. Yeah, and that is a huge shocker for me because when I look at what's coming up in the Marvel Universe, okay, Mm -hmm. overall Marvel Universe, they are planning Civil War. Right. Okay, there was a great great storyline that tied in with all the Civil War comics where we see Ben Urich. He is a writer that's covering this. He's actually in embed with uh, Iron Man and he's following Tony's every move and following what's going on with the superheroes uh, being registered and all this. And then he finally realizes how bad it is and he turns. Mm -hmm. We can't say that now that Ben's dead. But see, I'm kind of glad because we, like, Ben Yurick, I can see him doing, you know, the Daredevil stuff. I can see him doing, like, a Spider-Man stuff. I can't, and maybe it's because I haven't read those comics that could be it. I can't see him following Iron Man or, like, it just, not. it doesn't matter which version of Ben I'm talking about. Just Ben Yurick, the character in general. It could be the comic version. It could be the Joey Pants version. It could be this version. Um... I just don't see him doing that. Um, I do love how Karen tricked him, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Karen tricks him into going to this nursing home upstate. That was and pretty would, cold, but... And this is a very closely guarded secret for Fisk. There's two very closely guarded secret, secrets that Wilson Fisk has, and that is where his mother is, because... Nobody. I didn't even assume she was still alive. Just based on the, on the flashbacks to her, his childhood, I didn't. I didn't think she was still alive. I thought you know, she was dead and gone, like his dad. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, you know, so she. So the two most closely guarded secrets is where Fisk lives and where his mother is. And <sighs> Karen Page finds out and. That scene where the where the woman who's playing his mother is 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 talking about her ex husbands. That's just chilling. That's 
the second most chilling scene, like non-violent scene, like emotional scene in the in the first season. The first chilling scene is the fact that his mother has got a dark soul. Oh, I I remember that. <laughs> I, I remember texting you or messaging you on Facebook yeah. right yep. after I watched that, and I went, "Oh shit!" Because you see. To, to spoil this, again, spoiler alert. Yep. We see Wilson Fisk as a young boy. His father starts to go beat his mom. Mm-hmm. He picks up a hammer and bashes his father's head in. And yep. it is it is very disturbing. Again, very dark. This is what the series is. Mm-hmm. But we see him bash his head in and just keep beating him. And he's, and he's yelling, you got to kick him when he's down. Keep kicking him. Keep kicking him. And he's, you know, and then his mom looks and says, get the saw. Yeah. I was not expecting, I was expecting her to freak out on him. I was not expecting her to turn all dark like that. I loved it. But this doesn't, it, just reflecting on it in the moment, I was shocked as hell. But I don't think I should have been because of what happens in the present day with him being all embarrassed and then taking the brothers, the Russian brothers head and basically just decapitating the guy with the car uh, door. Yeah. Now that's, I'll say right now, I'm not a, I'm not a person that likes blood, guts and gore. It took all of my strength to sit here and watch that whole scene without fast forwarding or anything like that, because that was a lot of blood. Yeah. <laughs> Dripping off that car door. Uh, Oh, and, and the fact that they're hosing it off later in the it, shop. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean the the physical action of his anger, and you know the funny thing is, is I've I've been known to get angry at times. Uh, I remember back when Avengers came out, and we find out Bruce's secret, and Bruce Banner's secret is, you know, I'm angry all the time. Yeah. You know, that's that's how I control it. And I'm not angry all the time, but when I get super angry, don't nobody want to be around me. Because I literally yell at the top of my lungs, and it is a vocal tone that I didn't know I had. <laughs> it's one of those things where, so I understand Fisk's rage yes. uh, it, in it that folks- scene. I'm not a violent person. I'll tell you that right now. I'm not a violent person. I would never physically do what he did just from being embarrassed. But, like, I understand where his anger is coming from, from oh, yeah. being embarrassed by the by, by the brother. Well, um, I, I've heard you – it, it got edited <laughs> one episode. But there was an episode that we had recording for Talking About My Generation where Mike – Ended up going out and bitching out his neighbors, and I could hear it all through the mic. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mike's Mike's neighbors are just horrid people. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, moving so, on. But sorry. <laughs> this whole series, this whole series is absolutely amazing. One of the coolest things that they did for this, because Daredevil is a blind. I don't know if we can call him superhero, but we will. He is a blind superhero. So what they did for this series, what Netflix has done, is a just a simply an amazing, amazing thing. I'm actually going to go to the page right now. If you click on any of the episodes, uh, let's see here. I'll just click on the last one here. 
and you go to play the episode, all right? When you do this, come on, Netflix, load. Okay, so when you do this, on the, now this is on a PC, on Google Chrome, and I, I don't know what the layout is for any other things. If you go right next to, to the left of the full screen bar, they have audio options. They have English, French, German, Spanish, and they have something called English Audio Description. English audio description is for people who are blind that can't watch the show but still want to experience the show. Mm-hmm. I've turned it on, and it's amazing. They have a narrator that narrates the scenes. You can still hear the action. I mean, he only comes in at certain times, like the scene that you were talking about with the long hallway and the little boy. Mm-hmm. You know, he comes on and says, you know, Daredevil you know, walks down a long hallway. And I, th- I think the narrator gave dimensions of the hallway. I could be wrong about that. I don't remember off the top of my head. But it's awesome that they've done this for people who are blind that want to experience the show that can't see the show. More television series need to do this. It, it, this yeah. is amazing. And for those who have Apple TV or have uh, PlayStation, this option is available there as well because I've seen it after Mike brought it up to me. I noticed that this was an additional option. Uh, well, it's because it's on the Netflix app through those services. Right. So, I mean, yeah. It's there. It's, Go check it out. It's awesome. I can't wait until they release a season two. Oh, I don't know God, when yes. they're going to, but I cannot wait. I love this show. Well, I, I want to touch real quick because we've, we we kind of only really touched on one cast member. we got to go through and beat, beat out all of these cast members. Okay. Some of the major ones. Uh let, let's you know we'll we'll have to cover Charlie Cox. Charlie, I was really impressed when I first heard this, about this guy coming in to do it. I was like, this guy is kind of a he kind of struck he's me an as an unknown. He, yeah, he kind of really was. He's not that big an unknown, but people have people are like, okay, who are you? He was in uh, you know he was in uh, Stardust. That was one of the big ones that I remember seeing him in. He was the lead character in Stardust. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been Owen Slater in Boardwalk Empire. Uh, right. He was Ishmael on Moby Dick TV series, that, uh, TV miniseries that they had back in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, just looking through, he's done a lot, a lot of English stuff because he is English. So that's mm-hmm. something that throws a lot of people. And when you think about it, yeah, you know. But he did such a damn good job as Matt Murdock in Daredevil. Uh, and it looks like, according to IMDb, that they are going to have a Defenders crossover, mm-hmm. and he's going to be reprising his role as Matt Murdock mm-hmm. in the Defenders TV series. So I'm hoping that that'll probably end up being another Netflix or Amazon Instant Video special or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. God, I hope they do something like that, because mm-hmm. cable TV is really starting to suck. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, Deborah Ann Wall, uh, who plays Karen Page, she uh, she was in an episode of Axe Cop, a very short-lived series from <laughs> 2013. Yes. Um, she was in uh, Catch 44, True Blood. She was in Law and Order Special Victims Unit for an episode in 2009. 
Um, oh, if you guys want to see her as a sexy vampire, watch her play Jessica Hamby in True Blood. Uh, there are scenes where you can see her topless, and it's it's worth it. It's worth yeah. it. Don't let my wife hear me, but it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> we did already go over Eldon Henson, but I do have to bring up Vincent D'Onofrio one more time because oh, God. there's one thing that he did that not a lot of people will remember or know about, but it was, uh, I'm trying to bring it up here, let's see, it was 1987. Mm -hmm. He was Dawson, and I'm not talking about the Creek people, he was Dawson, aka Thor, in Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, now I did not find this out until after I had seen a lot of Law and Order Criminal Intent and Full Metal Jacket. But yeah, did you know that he was also uh, Edwin the Bug Guy in Men in Black? Yep, I saw that and I was like, really? That was him? You know? Uh, uh, yep. Uh, I don't want to look down. My face better now. It just I, I thought he was great. You know. I didn't put two and two together on that. Yeah, I didn't until after the fact, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio, like, and specifically going from the character of Robert Gorin in Lone Order Criminal Intent to this, that's just um, amazing. To see him, and that was, that was my big thing. That's where I knew D'Onofrio from. Yeah. He's done other things. Don't get me wrong. He's been, oh, yeah, no. You know. Uh, he's been, as we mentioned, Adventures in Babysitting. He's been in uh, Full Metal Jacket. Which... He was in The Judge from last year with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. So, oh, uh, Wilson Fisk and Iron Man were in a movie together. <laughs> <laughs> and they played brothers to each other. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's done a lot. And I seeing him change... From these characters, because, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't until a buddy of mine actually pointed out to me that he was Vincent or Edwin the Bug mm-hmm. on Men in Black. I kind of went, OK, because he was big in that movie. And I, I kind of yeah. thought, OK, he could pull that off. But then I'm thinking he's supposed to be Kingpin. Oh, it, that was my that was my initial thought was, oh, because all I could think of him as was the detective. From Criminal Intent. Right. And he's a skinny guy with his curly hair on top. And I'm thinking, there's no way in hell he's going to be able to pull off this guy who's supposed to be like 400 pounds. Mm. He put on the weight. And he it, it works. Oh, my God. He did mm-hmm. wonderfully at this. I was thoroughly impressed. Yep. Uh, anybody else you want to bring up? I think that's probably it for for the cast. I mean, there there's others yeah. that are going in and out. We uh, uh, I got to mention Rosario Dawson. Yeah, Rosario is Claire. Yeah, she is. She has had quite a bit. She's done Sin City. Uh, she was a God. She was a hooker in Sin City. Uh, she was in Clerks Two. She's been uh, God. What else? I know she's done like tons of stuff. Uh, she was in Seven Pounds. She was in Planet Terror and, and Death Proof. Uh, she's, oh God, she's going to be in Clerks 3. Eh, Clerks 3. That movie yeah. doesn't exist. 
they're working on it. It's supposed to be out in 2016. We'll see. Uh, that's that's all I'm going to say about it. Mm-hmm. I want it to be good, but I don't think it will be. Um, oh, I forgot. She was also with. Uh, she she also had a Daredevil tie-in in a way. She was Persephone in Percy Jackson and the Olympians, Lightning Thief. So mm-hmm. you've got her tying back to uh, Pants, who was Gabe Ugliano in that film, and he was Foggy in the original movie. So there's mm-hmm. your tie-in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty much it, though. We've we've covered pretty much everybody that's a major role in this film or in this series so far. I mean, you've got others. You know, you've got uh, Peter Shinkoda that shows up. You've got um, – there was a guy who I, I swear, and I, I took a look at it, and I kept looking and looking through the, through the script because I thought it was um, – God, what's his name? The guy who played as Green Goblin in the original Spider-Man uh, Norman Osborn. Well, yeah, the guy who played as Norman Osborn, but I'm trying to think of um, Willem Dafoe. Uh, Willem Dafoe, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I, he looked like Willem Dafoe. I'm like, who is that? It was a Russian guy. Never did find out who it was. Yeah. Um, I Real quick, what did you think of Scott Glenn showing up and being Stick? Being the guy oh, who taught him? I mean, I liked it. I thought it was interesting. I I thought it was good that, you know, here's this here's this guy and it kind of made him seem it made Daredevil seem less of a superhero, if you want to say. Like he didn't gain special powers from getting you know, from getting the stuff in his eyes. It mm-hmm. was more that, okay, you're blind, take it to the next level. Yeah. And that's kind of what I got from when Scott Glenn showed up as Stick in that he was teaching him he was teaching him how to fight. He was teaching him how to get revenge. He was teaching him don't be, you know, this wussy little kid. Step up. Well, I mean, Matt needed somebody at you know, when he was younger. He didn't have anybody. Like I mean, they didn't this series, because they have so much more time to explore the origin and all that stuff, they didn't just jump from when he was a kid to when he was an adult like the movie did because the movie doesn't have all that much time to explore all that. So this, you know, we saw, you know, Matt and his dad and how all that went before he lost his sight and even somewhat after he lost his sight. Um, you know, and then we see him with Stick, at, at, you know, as a kid in the flashbacks. I thought it worked. I mean, I thought it was a good way to bring the character in. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I didn't, I didn't really like Stick because he wasn't that nice of a guy. I mean, he, he, well, he's not supposed to be that nice of a guy because he's supposed to be this badass, this guy that's going to drive Matt either to the goal that Matt needs to get to, or it's going to create a wedge between the two of them. I mean, he's not like, he's not there to be a nice guy. He's not there, like was said in the flashback, he's not, he's not there to be Matt's you know, resi- um, his friend, is his, 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 his rebound father figure. I mean, yeah, he's there to train him. He's there to, you know, influence him in that way. Um, so I liked it overall. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much it for, for the oh, yeah. series. I, obviously we cannot wait enough to go to have a second season. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, Sit down, spend the 13 hours, and watch the series. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are listening to this now because you decided not to listen to us when we gave you spoiler alerts, well, sit down and watch it now. Yeah. We'll go ahead. We're gonna we're gonna sign off here. Uh, I do have a couple things I want to bring up. We are going to take next week off. Uh, Mike and I are actually going to we're going to record here for our big episode, but we will not have an episode next week that will be airing. Uh, why? Because we are going to be sitting down next weekend and spending a couple of hours. We'll probably break this one out. Uh, it will be a long episode. I'm just prepping you right now, and it, it's going to air May the fourth. And if you're not sure what's significant about that, may the fourth be with you, folks. Or, in the Joker's case, may the floss be with you. Oh God. <laughs> Yes, so we will be covering that. Uh, at that time, I will also be doing a giveaway for stuff. Uh, I've got, I've got some movie trailers here that I'll give away. I've got an old man Logan action figure that I'll give away. Um, I have got, oh god, I've got a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have an episode. I, I think I have a Cars DVD that I might give away. I have to look to see if I still have it around here. Uh, but yeah, I, I have some stuff I'll give away. So, you know, we'll definitely be pulling names from our Facebook names. So if you haven't gone and liked us on Facebook, please do. That's where I'm going to draw the names from. Go like us there. Uh, leave us comments on our iTunes page. Uh, just check us out. You can go visit us at mygenerationpodcast.com and listen to us there. Uh, Mike, I know you've got stuff coming up for GeekCast Radio Network. Anything that you want to plug? I don't even know. Uh, it, there's so much going on over there. Just go over to geekcastradio.com and you'll find everything that we do over there. Sounds good. All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and sign off here. Thank you for listening. <laughs>